Welcome to episode 49 of Soft Spot. We are knocking on the door of the big 5-0, which I will be putting out before the new year, so I'm very excited about that. If you haven't been listening to all almost 50 episodes, my name is Chelsea Hamishin. I'm the Vice President of Marketing and Events for the Global Soft Foundation, and this is our podcast. I hope you're all staying warm and healthy here in Florida, where we are based. It's actually cold out for once. I'm wearing a puff jacket and a winter hat here in my home studio because it's in the 40s outside. For our international listeners, that's about five Celsius, so it's really not that cold, but for Tampa, we are definitely bundling up. On to more important updates. We do have a couple of upcoming virtual events to wrap up the year. On December 9th, we're going to be having a virtual soft imperatives roundtable. It's going to feature some heavy hitters, including Congressman Jason Crow and Mark Green. This is only open to government, military, and representatives from our corporate partners. So if you hit any of those boxes, it is free for you to attend. Just make sure you register so that you actually get the link to join on the 9th. Then on December 16th, we have another event that is also free, but this is actually open to everybody who wants to join. It's a virtual soft story live, which we are now doing every month. Our director of government relations, Rick Lamb, actually wrote the description of this one, and he did such an awesome job, so I'm going to read it to you guys. In this episode of Soft Stories Live, former non-commissioned officers Mark Stevens and Clifford J. Bailey join forces once again with helicopter pilot Chief Warrant Officer Randy Jones to discuss high-risk special operations missions executed by the nation's most highly trained and secretive units during Operation Just Cause in Panama. From the successful hostage rescue of an American citizen, taking away the Panamanian military's ability to fight, and conducting the hectic hunt for General Manuel Noriega, these special operators were in the dangerous forefront of this pivotal moment in special operations history and U.S. foreign policy. So save the date. This is real and gritty, and you don't want to miss it. So yeah, how could you want to miss that? Get more info on both of these events on our website at gsof.org. Okay, on to today's episode. It's focused on a topic that's very important to us, and that is the transition that special operators go through when they leave active duty service and then go on to civilian careers. For a group of people who are usually considered to be pretty fearless, it's actually a scary thing for most of them to leave the military. So it's a topic that we like to discuss as often as possible. So I spoke with two gentlemen today who have gone through it, and then one who is just starting his crossover to civilian life. Those guests are Edward Ted Handler. He's a senior manager at Still and a former Marine Corps special operator. He went through the transition seminar at the Honor Foundation, so he'll talk a little bit about that and his unique career. We also had on Blake Moore. He's the vice president of strategy and operations at Wicker, one of our corporate partners. He's also had a non-traditional path crossing over between being enlisted in the Air Force to a civilian SES, and now he's in the private sector. And our last guest today is Army Ranger and Sergeant First Class, almost retired Dennis Moore. You might recognize him as our latest Skillbridge intern here at the foundation, and he's really been a great asset to our team. He's about to be officially retired and start his civilian career, so he has some very fresh perspectives on the topic. So let's hear what they have to say about leaving active duty service. And then if we want to break it down. Wow. The Global Soft Foundation. My immediate yeah, reaction was, this is awesome. This the Special Operations Community. For special operations. You have our support. Let's move. Welcome to SoftSpot. All right, so uh, thank you all for joining me today to talk about a big milestone in the life of many service members. 
That's the transition from active duty to civilian life. Uh, let's start by getting to know everybody a little bit. Um, can you briefly tell us who you are and describe your background in the military? Let's start with Blake, please. Hi, uh, thanks. It's a great opportunity to be here today. And I wanted to start by saying uh, <clears throat> special operations is absolutely critical in this era of great power competition. It's it's become clear that the convergence between joint fourth lethality and where it intersects with strengthening allies and partners uh, to counter near peer competitors is absolutely pivotal to our ability to, to do what we need to do as a nation. And so I'm really looking forward to the conversation. My military background essentially started in the Air Force in 2001. In fact, I was in basic training when 9-11 occurred. It was quite the, quite a change. A lot of things changed very immediately for me uh, at that point in basic training. Uh, my primary focus in the military was uh, around signals intelligence and uh, then digital network intelligence. Um, so I deployed to a number of areas, uh, operated at SIGINT sites around the globe, uh, supported tactical operations in Afghanistan and things. Uh, lots of great experiences, lots of great camaraderie. Um, but that's essentially my military background. Awesome, thank you for sharing. Uh, Ted, how about you? Okay, yeah, again, just like Blake, thank you very much for having me here. I'm humbled to participate and uh, love the opportunity to talk about the military and Marine Corps special operations. Uh, in particular, since today is the birthday of the Marine Corps, so uh, it's a special day for me. And uh, uh, although I know this is going to be audio, I have on my uh, lapel pin, the uh, Marine Raider pin, the Honor Foundation pin, and steel. And uh, my kind of life has taken that circular route for transition, so very happy and pleased to talk about it. Um, I did a 20-year career in the Marine Corps, retired as a lieutenant colonel, entered as an infantry officer. Uh, actually got out and had broken time, got into the financial markets for a couple of years. And then September 11th happened and I got called back in and uh, didn't look back after that, did the rest of my career. Um, initially started down the reconnaissance and sniper path, enjoyed that training, but then Marine Special Operations Command stood up. Uh, I did that for a good long time, was one of the first company commanders there. Uh, and great inputs from some of my mentors, uh, also Honor Foundation, uh, Andy Christian, who's a big mentor to me and peer, uh, and General Frank Donovan, who's going to be doing a, a great talk tomorrow with the Honor Foundation. Uh, always appreciate the guidance they gave me to head down that route and stay in the Marine Corps uh, because it led to my then continuing special operations kind of all over the globe, uh, deployed Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, other places. Uh, Philippines, all over the globe, essentially. Uh, had a lot of fun doing it, worked with great people, built a great network, uh, all of which helped me for a transition later. I finished uh, my career in Dam Neck with Naval Special Warfare Developmental Group. I did my last six years there and decided to stay in Virginia Beach after that, uh, which then brought me to Steel, which is where I am now. Uh, my dad was a Marine, so I've been getting the uh, Marine Corps birthday text all day. Semper Fidelis, I just, uh, I'm trying to turn off my, because it is absolutely blowing up as it becomes uh, beer 30 here. Yes, exactly. That's when it's really time to catch up. Um, all right. And then Dennis is here. He's actually our Global Soft Foundation SkillBridge intern right now. So he's still in the process of doing the actual transition uh, to civilian life. So Dennis, why don't you give us a little background? How you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I joined in uh, late 99, uh, went to the regiment, spent a few years there. 9-11 um, happened. I was actually walking up TBD Mountain in Ranger School. 
thinking, oh, man, I got to quit this because I, I got to go to war. Um, called back. They told me, no, you better not quit. So, you know, I finished it off. Uh, after that, I've been all over the parts of the military, uh, infantry background. Um, most recently, I'm at Fort Jackson, where I have been spearheading the expert soldier's badge for the Army. I wrote and developed it and uh, also did a lot of the H2F transition from the military and uh, a correction the Army into the physical fitness and holistic mental side of of it. But I retire in tomorrow, two days. I final out in two days. So uh, see what life brings. Exciting times. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure that we could do a full podcast on each of your careers. Um, but we're here today to talk about the transition to civilian life. Talk in, in general, like what the transition experience was like for you. Military to private transition. And when I say private, um, I'm talking specifically to technology uh, and or consulting because private is a very large umbrella term and there are some that are easier. But this seems to be more of the deep end on the private side of the house. Uh, it was challenging. There's a lot of things that were significantly different. Um, I lumped them in uh, kind of four large categories. Um, the first one being priorities. For the most part, priorities in the private sector are different. They're focused more uh, often on the financial components of things, of bookings, revenue, bottom line, top line growth. Um, and the expectation is, is that um, as an individual coming on board, that you're quantitatively measuring results and you have the ability to align on metrics and, 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 and vigorously track how you're executing against them. Um, and also the world seems to operate for the most part quarter by quarter, which is different from the Department of Defense uh, in a lot of ways, but uh, it, really is, it really is a different world. So that's the first sort of big component the next one is terminology. Um, I learned very quickly when coming around every acronym and every expression from the Department of Defense world to the private sector world is different. I went from understanding BDA and SITREP terminology to having to understand what a GTM and LTB is. Um, completely different terminology, completely different insight. Um, I found through trial and error, my, I actually taking notes in meetings on my laptop and then going back and researching them to really determine what was said in meetings. Um, it was challenging. Um, but terminology is another big component. The third big component is, um, is engagement. The concept, the inherent concept of chain of command differs a lot. It's, it's, it's there. There is, a, there is a concept of chain of command in private sector, um, but it's very fluid. Calling the CEO by first name is actually normal. And that's hard. It's a hard concept to get around. The expectations to engage more collaboratively at all levels um, is different. Um, and so it's a different it's a different way to engage uh, you know, amongst and within your peers. Um, military bearing or the concept of military bearing and potentially over 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 rotating on that could be construed as out of touch. And I learned that the hard way uh, during my stint going from 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 military to, to private. Um, there's a there's a, there's an expectation that, you know, you're going to be. Um, a little bit more, you know, loose and and and, and engaging, and, and you know, maybe bubbly is the right word, um, which I was not used to coming from the military side of the house. The fourth and last big big bucket I'd say is um, autonomy. Military, great military leaders are, are outstanding at doing this and creating this, um, but it can be a, a lot different in, in industry. Um, in industry, in private sector, you know, day one, you're essentially sitting at your desk and you know, there can be an expectation that you immediately start making great things happen. The, uh, the environment is completely autonomous um, with, in some cases, very little structure. 
And so you have to be flexible and you have to be focused on results rather than the process on how you get there, which can be different when you're following doctrine and SOPs and, and DOD, for example, um, and then you know on, on the industry side, focusing on results. So that's what I'd say for the four big sort of experience areas, priorities, terminology, engagement, and autonomy um, between the transition. Thanks, Blake. That's awesome. Do you feel like you were given resources from the services like intact? Did that prepare you for that at all? Or was it really a by the seat of your pants, finding it out in real time kind of thing? Yeah, TAP, <clears throat> mentorship, guidance, um, colleagues provided a great solid foundation for what to expect in private sector. But it only is a foundation. It is not the specific nuances and details about how um, how to engage in the private sector. So it's a great it's a great springboard, uh, but there's a lot of things to learn immediately upon the transition. So mentorship is 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 critical to that whole thing. Great. All right, Ted. How about you? What was your transition experience like? Uh, so I a I I love what Blake said about terminology. That's very high up on my list. I mean, we go from uh, a whole acronym dictionary in the military. Uh, and have a tendency to still use those on the, you know, once we get out, it's just part of our vernacular. And to a certain degree, you have to shake that off and learn whatever your particular company's vernacular is and, and acronyms and abbreviations. And, and that is a, a massively important part to recognizing you need to continue to be a learning individual um, all the way through. And as you got to recognize, you're probably going to be a rookie again. Uh, you bring a lot to the table, but you're a rookie. You're new to them, and you have to establish that. Uh, I will say that the experiences that veterans bring to the table, I have yet to find a leadership challenge um, that I wasn't able to draw a parallel to in the military. So uh, just important up front to say that we do have deep experiences, and you will have uh, to aim, you know, transitioning people out there, you will have the experiences to draw off of to make yourself successful. Uh, but I had a unique experience in that I went through transition twice. Um, so I got out as a, literally a first lieutenant a couple months from pinning on captain, um, had literally a three-day taps and tamps class, um, you know, a couple of recommendations. There was not a whole lot going on back then. Um, and I, I really put it upon myself to go do a whole bunch of practice interviews by going to hiring conferences and just practice my story. Uh, and it was good. It worked. I had a lot of offers. I realized we do bring uh, something as veterans. We bring something to the table that they are looking for. Um, but then the second time uh, uh, departing, I had the pleasure of going through the Honor Foundation. And for those that aren't familiar with the Honor Foundation, it is an organization, charitable organization, uh, that provides soft personnel an opportunity to really introspect, figure out what makes them tick. So they figure out where they're going to be happy in that whatever next is. Um, and it's kind of, it goes through three phases really where you've got kind of a training phase, then a pre-deployment, and then a deployment into finding out what that next opportunity is. And to me, the honor, I'm immensely thankful for that opportunity. Um, and I think organizations like that um, are, and there are many of them, those are the organizations that the larger military needs to kind of learn from uh, that smaller soft experience the same way uh, some of the larger military infrastructure builds upon soft um, R&D and testing different tactics, techniques, weapon systems, things like that. I think that um, 
a better job can be done by our services. And I think that our service members deserve better rather than just a, a quick three or four day, here's a whole bunch of information. There needs to be active guidance. There needs to be active coaching. We spend literally eight, 10, 12 weeks indoctrinating into a military mindset and then don't do anything on the way out to set them up for success and, and kind of curbing that military culture. They spent so much time training. You have to train what is what is the next culture going to demand of you. So that's my two cents. Yeah, no, and I know it can also be really overwhelming because people try to find something besides just doing the tax course. And then there's so many other resources out there. So I'm sure it's challenging to decide which programs you want to reach out to. What led you to the Honor Foundation? Honestly, um, they came at, uh, to DevGrew and they gave a presentation. Uh, there were several of those organizations that came and, uh, and talked to us. Um, it just seemed to, what they had to say seemed to click. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, whoever, whatever type of person you are, you kind of want to be able to be in a comfortable environment. You're going to be putting a whole bunch of trust uh, in people that you don't really know up front. So there has to be some sort of click there, if you will. Uh, and it just the Honor Foundation happened to be the right time, right place. And uh, it worked for me. Great. No regrets. <laughs> None. All right. So, Dennis, I know that you're still partway through this process. Um, is what Does what they have to say, like, scare you at all? Or is that what you're prepared for? No, I... I've uh, working with the foundation and, and doing the internship was is, is amazing. It's been an amazing opportunity. Uh, it's one of the things that the military has, has actually got right, in my opinion, with uh, transitioning. Um, as Blake said, you know, calling a CEO by your first name, it's at first it's shocking, and, and it was the first time I talked to to Stu. He was, hey, Stu, and he's like, hey, what's up? I'm like, all right, he was, you know, he was a full bird colonel, and, you know, special operations. You know, same with Rick Lamb. You know, I call him Rick, and it was Sergeant Major to me. You know, growing up. Um, but the transition, like the military had the SFL tap, the Army does, and to me, it, it didn't it didn't explain anything. It, it gave you the basics, and you had to go out there and reach for what else you needed. Um, I just happened so happened to reach out to an organization that I heard about through a buddy of mine, and they with uh, Rick Lamb and. Here I am doing an internship, learning, you know, the real world and how the, the transitioning from, like you said, being in the military to the civilian world and in the language and, you know, what is it that you want to do? What are you good at? How does your skills trans translate over? Speaking of skills, can you briefly describe what SkillBridge is for people who might not know about it? Uh, SkillBridge internship is... What they do is the last 180 days while you're on active duty, they give you the opportunity to go work for a, a company uh, to figure out if that's something you want to do and learn a skill. Um, it's for the company. It's free. Um, you still pay through the military, but the military is giving you that luxury and that um, benefit of going out and, and learning something because, you know, you've been doing this for 21 years. This is what you know. So now you have to figure out what what else you can what else you know, and that's one thing the army is is starting to get right. And you very wisely chose Global Soft Foundation as your as your organization. <laughs> yep. 
Um, and you are our fourth SkillBridge intern, so it's definitely a program that we we've really um, enjoyed using and met a lot of a lot of good people that way. And that's where Steve Jones is from. He was our first one. All right. So I know you kind of all talked about this a little bit, but if you had like a top one or two tips for people who are about to transition, uh, what would those tips be? So Blake, why don't you go first? Um, there's a lot of tips. So let me try to pick up the top three. Um, number one, I'd say get a mentor, get 10. Um, they are so absolutely critical to success on both sides of the house. And when I say mentor, I mean, and I think Ted mentioned this earlier, a coach, a guide, someone that can assist you, sort of root for you, um, that has been on both sides of the house, the private sector and the public sector side. That is just, it's absolutely invaluable. I'd say the next big thing, besides networking, which I think networking is kind of a given, um, it's kind of like the foundation, you know. Um, I'd say uh, use your network as, as from a networking standpoint, to get insight around specific companies and industries that you think would be most aligned to your values, your culture, and the way you operate. And then finally, I'd say always be learning, always be reading, always be training, and be very flexible on learning new ways of doing things. Um, don't assume because uh, doctrine has been sort of the focal point for you for your career that that's the way the in industry does it because it's, it, is a com it can be a complete 180 difference. Um, a bonus one I'd say is that most importantly, start with e start emails with hi and then the name and be flexible on your use of very respectfully at the end. Um, it, it's, it's, it is, it's a little thing, but I, you know, for some reason, it seems to be a, a big difference in the private sector as far as how you, uh, how you refer to your emails. So those are, those are the three plus one. Yes. Uh, all my emails when I worked on base ended in VR very respectfully and now it's, there's some leeway now. <laughs> All right, Ted, how about you? Yeah, I think Blake's right. There's a, there's a lot of tips. <laughs> I entirely agree with uh, with getting a coach mentor. Um, I was given uh, a coach for transition who has literally become mentor and friend. We are still in touch today. Um, he is a former McKinsey partner, uh, has his own um, professional executive mentorship. Uh, program. Uh, I would never be able to afford something like that. And uh, just developing the relationship has allowed me to gain access to that. So that, again, the networking piece that, that Blake mentioned. Um, I will say from a military skill set, in particular, um, you know, a soft skill set or anybody that's been in combat, the, the learned skill of being comfortable in the chaos is wildly invaluable. You have to recognize it is a little bit chaotic. You're on other people's schedules. Um, it, it is a little bit nerve wracking. We're used to getting orders six months out and knowing what the future holds with that um, next duty position. Um, and you know that may not happen. I know I was about three weeks from retirement before I had my first offer in hand and it, I was terrified. And then all of a sudden I had, I had not one, I had two, three, I, multiple offers in hand. And so I started to relax. Um, but again, you're going to be, you're going to be in a new environment. And so uh, being comfortable in the chaos while you're learning is a really valuable skill. Um, another thing that military guys in particular, uh, very experienced guys that have been in the military a long time, there is a lot of confidence, but we aren't used to talking about ourselves. 
we love to talk about our buddies and the people we've helped and you know, camaraderie. We have a tough time selling ourselves. And uh, you, you definitely need to learn how to do that. You got to be able to sell yourself to the position that you're looking to go into. And you need to be able to translate the military skills into how that's valuable to the company uh, that you're trying to gain a position at. Um, and then I would say along the lines of networking too, uh, people do want to help. Um, we forget how small the military is. And there's a lot of people out there that have connection to the military and really do want to help you. Take advantage of that. Do listen with both ears. Do look with both eyes. And, um, you know, just there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. A lot of people to help you build that network. Just be friendly, be yourself, learn to sell yourself, and it'll work out. Those are great. Thank you, guys. And Dennis, I'm sure you appreciate hearing those. Um, so since you're still going through the process, do you have any um, lessons learned that you'd like to share just with what you've gone through so far that maybe other people who haven't started transition yet might want to know? Uh, yeah, the, the, the biggest one for me was make sure you're ready to retire. If you're not ready to retire, don't have a plan. You have to have a plan. Um, when you're when you're active duty and, and you, you have a paycheck coming in every day or every month, twice a month, you know it's coming no matter what. Once once that's gone, you don't have that anymore. So you need to save and and live within your means. You can't go out and buy that you know 2020 F350 limited edition truck that you, you know, you could, you could afford while you were on active duty. Uh, another thing for me, the biggest thing was all the benefits and, and what are they and how do you find them? They are, they are on a website, but it's like any other government website. They're really hard to understand. Having somebody that's gone through it that can, can explain it to you is, is beneficial in itself. Yeah. So for number one, what is the timeline you think that someone needs to have when they say like, okay, I'm ready? Like how far in advance do they need to be from the actual date of separation? That's hard to say. I mean, you can, you can start doing the whole transition thing at two years prior, but most people don't know that they're ready to retire until they are, you know, you can say, Hey, I'm going to do 20 years and I'm getting out. But your, your body and your mind will tell you, hey, it's time. One day you'll wake up and you it's time. So to me, at least 18 months, you'll know. And then that way you can you can plan to set up, you know, making sure all your your, your, your bills are paid, paid off, credit cards are paid off, cars paid off. Um, then you can start networking uh, outside of the military channels. To try to find, you know, what your niche is going to be. I'm going to highlight two corporate partners today. The first is Wicker, that's W-I-C-K-R, and that's the company that Blake works for. At Wicker, they believe the highest results are born from different perspectives. That is why they strive to work with the best minds. Wicker is headquartered in San Francisco, and it is a secure communications company with a mission to transform the way companies and organizations protect valuable high-target communications. 
Thank you, Wicker, for all that you do. I know we at the foundation use it, and not only is it great, their support team is also wonderful, and they check in with you all the time to make sure everything is working smoothly. The second partner I'm going to talk about is Intrepid, that's N-T-R-E-P-I-D. Intrepid is a mission-driven provider of cutting-edge managed attribution technology solutions for government to discreetly and safely conduct sophisticated cyber operations in the most hostile online environments. Their innovative solutions empower advanced online research, investigations, and data collection while obscuring organizational identity and protecting your mission. Visit www.intrepidcorp.com academy to register for one of their upcoming virtual training courses to learn more about trending cyber topics such as OSINT research and dark web investigations using their managed attribution solutions. So definitely check out Intrepid and their course offerings. All right, let's get back to the conversation. Wait, Ted, what are your thoughts on the timeline aspect? You know, from my perspective, I, I think the sooner the better. Um, I didn't really do that myself, but um, I think six months is that sweet spot, probably a year to six months, like the, um, a year out to six months out, you, you want to be building that network, you want to be starting doing your research, your homework, figuring out. But at the six-month mark, you have to be focused. You've got to be thinking about it because it, there's a lot of things that take a lot of time. Um, and the, the military will use all of your time if you let it. it. We are loyal people that are proud of our service. We want to continue to serve. But there has to be a time where you actually recognize it's time to work on me and my future. And that is actually a very hard, hard part of transition is is actually committing and making the time. Yeah, that's a really good point. How about you, Blake? So completely agree with everything Dennis and Ted said. I guess the one thing that I'd add is that the timing is is often conditions based and it's predicated on the industry and the position that you're trying to get into. If you are making a transition to a defense industrial-based contracting company, for example, it could be smoother, it could be easier. Maybe you already have a top secret clearance, maybe you understand the terminology. That transition can be easier um, and it could, it could theoretically take less time. Conversely, if you're looking to move out into, uh, I'm just use, I use technology, you're wanting to move out to Silicon Valley and get into tech, go work at, you know, at one of the large tech firms, um, that could take longer. That takes time. That takes, you know, apples to apples comparison. It takes research, um, and it takes a lot of pre- a lot more preparation to be prepared for something like that. Um, so that's all I. That's all I'd add. <laughs> that's funny you say that because six months ago I applied to Amazon, um, trying to get some area manager job or something like that, and I looked the other day and it's still under consideration. Six months later, so that that's funny that you said that you know it could take a lot of time. Do you have um, like specific career advice for transitioning to that private sector job? Um, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but a little more specific about picking the path that you want to be on. It's more challenging to go from 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 military to private um, than than other paths. It's more also more rewarding. Um, there is a major need to translate. Uh, between mission need between military and private and private to military. So there's a lot of value there for those that are that are getting out. Um, on the private side of the house, innovation, fast paced, dynamic um, is sort of the name of the game versus mission oriented, supporting the nation on the public sector side. 
Um, you're going to be spending a lot of time translating apples to apples between positions, and that's critical to be able to pivot between the two sectors. Um, reading a lot, keeping up to date on market movements and policy changes is also absolutely imperative to be able to effectively transition um, between these. And um, this was mentioned earlier, I think Ted mentioned it, but getting involved early with trade associations and nonprofits that bring together government, academia, military industry is an outstanding way to be part. Yep, yeah, an outstanding way to be part of, uh, to be able to, to be able to provide that path and, and sort of act as a springboard. Like the Global Soft Foundation, perhaps? <laughs> exactly, boom. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. <laughs> All right, Ted, how about you? Yeah, I have to, have to agree. Um, those organizations, whether it be Global Soft or others, I mean, that is that is really um, an area for support and for help. But um, to me, one of the things that's important, too, is what are the conditions? Um, and Blake mentioned this. Most transitions are, are bounded by some sort of conditions, uh, whether that be, you know, lack of promotion, whether it be time and service, whether it be an injury, uh, just you have made up your mind, you know, whatever. Um, but there's there's other considerations there too, familial, like kids in school, having a, a location that you're not not willing to move away from. Are you willing to, to look at the whole United States as your job market? Are you looking at the whole globe as your job market? Uh, figuring out some of these things is really important in narrowing down the search for what is available where. Uh, but then also, uh, there's there's lots out there. Um, like for me, I find uh, working at Steel Incorporated, it is a, a privately held family business, uh, very conservative values. It, it matches me and my values. And the culture here is uh, very similar. There's a purpose and belonging uh, that I was longing for coming from the military. Um, identifying these things, once you, you have to figure figure out where and what kind of sector and then what type of company within the sector. Uh, and then again, to, to the task of it takes time, it's not easy from the outside to figure out what a, a company's culture truly is like and whether you will fit in. And that's where the networking piece comes in. Use the military organizations, use the, the charitable organizations to find people that work at those companies that you're interested in and have a cup of coffee or a beer and you know, get to know them and, and find out a little more informally what they're like and whether you're a good fit. Because most military folks are very purpose driven. They have to have something, uh, a reason besides just the financial to be there. Um, so how do you determine the best industry or position or company for you? Like what led you to where you are currently? Great question. <laughs> um, so first, uh, you have to make sort of like a Venn diagram and determine an intersection of one, what you're very passionate about and what you've done in the military, what you're really good at, uh, and then what the market need is on the on the industry side as far as what they'll pay for. Sort of the intersection of where those three circles sort of overlap. The next thing is I found very valuable is inventorying my last three to five positions that I've had and determining what I loved about them, what I what I didn't love about them, uh, what I felt was miss missing. Um, and where I wanted to be next. And I took those and I I, I basically made a, a short job description on what my ideal position would be. And I've done that three times now, going in and out of government a few different times. Um, and then what, I, what, what, what you do is you research the companies that hold the same cultural values that you have, which Ted had mentioned earlier, for an example, where he's at still, um, and, and, and things that you're excited about. And so 
you take the intersection of that Venn diagram plus the targeted type of position you, you, you want, plus the company that holds the values and culture, and that is where your target should be as far as your focus. And then from there, it's simple. You reach out to your LinkedIn network, you reach out to your mentors, you find out who's in those companies, and you start the conversation targeted to those specific companies with those specific positions that you're interested in. But don't you don't wait for a job posting, obviously. I mean, you go out there and you start having the discussions now prior to that happening. So that's, that's that, in my opinion, the best way to, to, to engage that. Yeah, that's a great exercise. I'm sure that'll help a lot of people. Did you come up with that on your own? Uh, I've taken bits and, bits and pieces uh, in a number of different areas, yeah. Cool, well, that sounds really helpful. Um, how about you, Ted? Like, what led you to your uh, industry? What made you decide it was right for you? Um, so I'm using my personal example of the conditions-based, um, you know, I my 20-year military career was based over 22 years with my breaking, broken time. Um, and my wife and I don't have kids, and I literally had my hand up kind of to deploy, take the hard job all the time, anytime, anywhere, um, that's why I joined. It's what I, I liked about um, the Marine Corps. <clears throat> and uh, my wife at uh, the 22-year mark looked at her watch and kind of tapped and said, hey, uh, I thought we said, you know, 20 and out. And um, you're looking at orders and it's going to be Camp Lejeune or the Pentagon. And I like Virginia Beach. I'm staying in Virginia Beach. <laughs> and so that was, uh, you know, those are some pretty clear restraints and constraints that uh, Sink House Handler put in place. Um, and I abided by because I love my wife. Um, so staying in Virginia Beach was what we were going to do. And that took that took me to look at what what is um, available in Virginia Beach. Um, I had worked prior to the military in manufacturing and sales in Austria. Um, so when I came across steel, it was a natural interest, um, and uh, I, they didn't, again, like Blake said, uh, I didn't see any job postings that necessarily uh, fit per se uh, initially, but uh, interviewed with human resources, reached out to people, um, you know, did uh, some analysis on the company, was able to uh, luckily meet the president of the company. Uh, uh, then a couple months went by, I didn't hear anything, and I thought it was game over. It just wasn't going to happen. So I started I'd been looking at other opportunities. Uh, but then Steele came back to me with, hey, can you uh, can you be available on this date? And we want to do a, a series of interviews, which turned out to be eight interviews in one day, uh, which was a, quite an intense day. Um, but I, I also I thought it went really well. At that point, I had two job offers in hand. Uh, and wasn't sure what I was going to do. Make a long story short, uh, all of meeting all of those people, highlighting what I felt my skill set was, which is kind of, you know, no fail, problem solving under extreme stress. It is not necessarily um, what I enjoy, but I know it is what I'm good at. It drives me. If I'm not under that type of pressure, I, I just need it to feel comfortable um, like that. Um, and I, I knew I would be able to do that at Steel. So uh, it's yeah, finding finding out what those uh, you know that Venn diagram that that Blake mentioned is really important, uh, and then being proactive on it. Um, again, a little bit of comfort in you're on someone else's timeline to a certain degree, but don't be lazy. Take initiative and get out there and uh, advertise what you're good at. 
and customize also to customize your your resume and uh, and your pitch to what you want to do and how you can be valuable to that particular company. And that was like 200 pieces of advice right there at the end. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. I was just like mentally doing the list. I'm like, yep, it's a lot of stuff. So not everyone is transitioning necessarily to industry. A lot of people are going to transition to maybe a civilian career. So Blake, based on your experience, um, can you share a lesson learned from going from an enlisted um, active duty to civilian SES ranks? Um, sure. Uh Character means everything. You must not burn bridges when you go throughout your career. Treat everyone with respect. Motivate and inspire everyone around you. This will follow you throughout the course of your careers. It's critical. Ted mentioned earlier, the military is actually a very small place, and these types of things will resonate. Two, stay competitive. Always be learning and growing. I think that sort of speaks for itself. Um, three, stay vigilant for new opportunities. You, there isn't necessarily a straight path. Um, you have to be willing to sort of grow. Um, Next, align with great leaders. I would say that's probably one of the most important. Uh, the great leadership is key. Um, I have taken jobs when, throughout, this, throughout the course of my career just for the senior leader that I was working for, and it's, it's paid dividends. It's, it's absolutely critical. I've just been very lucky and very fortunate to work for great people. Um, and then finally, you know, have an idea where you want to go, but stay very flexible in that path to get there. Um, you know, in, in my case, I went from enlisted to private, back to government, back out to private, back to government, back to private again. Uh, so you just have to be very flexible in how you approach it. Wow. Um, thank you for that. So to wrap this up, uh, I was hoping I could get a personal anecdote or story or last tip from each of you about finding the right career after your active duty service. Uh, Ted, why don't you go first this time? Yeah, that's hard um, because I've got a lot of things that I'm passionate about, um, but there's a... Um, there's a certain element of you need to really listen to people. Uh, my coach, uh, when I was going through transition, helped me immensely by translating my military speak into real resume speak. Uh, had I not listened to that advice, I probably would not have landed the position that I landed. Um, I also think really, honestly, I just say listen, listen, build a network, get a lot of mentors listen to what they have to say, um, but tr also trust your gut. I, I know what I, I, you know, I would love to be a pro surfer. That's not going to happen, right? <laughs> I'd love to be a pro snowboarder. That's not going to happen. I, I, so listening to, uh, to other people and I ask them actively, what are, what am I good at? What do you think I'm good at? And let, let the people that you have led and you have been led by tell you what you're good at. Listen to that evaluate it and hone in on that and you'll likely be very successful. I still think there's time for you to be a pro sir. <laughs> Only when they get a seniors division, I suppose. <laughs> there you go. It could happen. <laughs> never say never. Exactly. Uh, Blake, how about you? Um, yeah, so I, I followed the strategy I talked about earlier with the Venn diagram, what I'm passionate about, et cetera, and lots of research, lots of discussion with mentors and ultimately led me to, to Wicker, where I am now, um, essentially a security first end to end collaboration platform with video voice messaging. And to me, that's a that's a spot that I'm very passionate about. And so I uh, I was I noticed three big things happening after doing the research and talking to people that I know and trust. One was this idea of great power competition, which we mentioned earlier um, to a focus on near peer competitors with China and Russia. 
Two, COVID and the pandemic has forced a lot of people to be working from different areas. Um, distributed work, remote work, telework, absolutely critical. Um, and the need for security there is obviously imperative. And then and then next is you know the ability to collaborate in something like we're doing right now. I, I thought there was absolutely a convergence there. And so I started looking, got introduced by a mutual friend to, to Wicker, the CEO at Wicker, and had a number of conversations and they were just right in the middle of it. And their values held true and transparency and innovation was great. And so um, there, there was not an opening necessarily for something on strategy and operations, similar to what Ted mentioned earlier. But during the course of discussion and being able to translate the things that you know we do in the Department of Defense and how that applies, uh, we found the perfect position and, and the perfect opportunity, and uh, and that's where I am now. So that's great to hear that you both were able to use your skills to sort of create a position that worked once you found a company that's going to. Um, so Dennis, I know you're not fully transitioned yet, but do you have any um, anecdotes or uh, advice about what you've learned so far to help you find the career that you're going towards right now? Uh, for me, it's it's been, you know, interesting. Um, growing up, my, 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 my dad, he was a salesperson and, and loved to talk to people. And I got that gift of gab where I can talk to anyone. I don't get embarrassed. I can talk to anybody. Um, I knew that that would probably be my, the best passion that I had and, and more, I'd have the most success in. So, you know, I, I, I knew I didn't want to be a government employee anymore. I was tired of working for the federal government. Um, so I reached out to Stu and told him I wanted to be in sales. And he got so excited because no one wants to be in sales. So do you still want to be in sales in the same way that you thought you did before you did the internship? No, um, I, I, my dad was what he did. What he sold is what I thought all sales was. Uh, working with Steve, do learning the business development side of it and, and getting you know finding business for other people. That was that's a that's awesome. That's something that most people don't understand and don't know. You know, everyone thinks that every company knows each other, but most companies don't know what this other company does. So be able to, to be that that bridge in between them is is actually is is really fun and challenging at the same time. So big takeaway: the opportunity to do the internship was important. Oh, it's was, it was most. That was probably the most important decision I made, to be honest. Great. Well, glad to hear that. I will thank all of you gentlemen for joining us today. You've shared a lot of valuable stuff that I'm sure is going to help some other folks in their transition. Um, so thanks again. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, have a good one. And you, hey, you can still be a professional snowboarder if you want. <laughs> I'm gonna I'll, work I'll be, on I'll be a golfer. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna work on both winter winter snowboarding and summer surfing. See if I can parlay that somehow. There, there you go. I believe in you. <laughs> Soft Spot is brought to you by the Global Soft Foundation a 501c3 based in Tampa, Florida. If you liked what you heard, subscribe and give us a five-star review. If you're new to us, you can find out more about the foundation at gsoft.org. That's golfsierraoctoberfoxtrot.org.